Well, ever feel like someone's talked you up way too much? I have. Currently experiencing it. But uh, I have done a lot of life with Luke in the past decade. And uh, not only did he lead me to the Lord, uh, but he led me back to the Lord after I thought I'd be a silly person and think I could do it without God. And so I went away and then realized that I couldn't. And then this time came crying back to Luke. And uh, I guess, I, and I'm going to repay it. Like if there was, there's probably about three or four people that I could say if they weren't in my life along the journey as a Christian, then I wouldn't be here. And Luke is one of those for sure. Man, I've shed a lot of tears with you, Luke. And he still likes me. That's pretty good. Someone else that I'm excited that is here is Dan Moyer. Dan, do you know my claim to fame in life? Is that I live next door to Dan Moyer. Not even joking. Every time, like, everyone knows you, man. Like, everywhere I go, your name comes up. I go, I live next door to him. And like, really? And so I'm instantly friends with people once I say that I live next door to Dan. Dan was actually the first person that ever asked me to a youth group. And I was telling him before, he doesn't remember... But it was a little bit... Okay, so I was out the front of his house, or play, probably playing cricket or something, that's what we used to do. And, um, and he's like, oh, do you want to come to youth, man? You seem really genuine. I was like, oh, maybe. I wasn't really keen, to be really honest. I was like, oh, maybe. But he was a good bloke. They're great. Their family is incredible. And I, um, all I knew when I went over the moors, I just knew I couldn't swear, because they were all so incredible, and I had to be on my best behavior. But he's saying, he goes, do you want to come to youth? I said... Yeah, maybe. Hey, it could be all right. And so his mum comes out and says, and Dan goes, oh, Garth might come to youth. And his mum goes, Dan, all you want is the points that they're giving out at youth if you bring a new person. And she goes, don't worry, Garth, don't worry. And I was like, it's all right. And I just laughed and went home. But that was his, hey, he still invited me, at least, even if it was a selfish motive. No, he he loved me. No, Dan Moyer is absolutely incredible. For those of you who um, haven't been here for the past few weeks or in and out, we've been doing a series on hope, and it has been absolutely outstanding. Has anyone else enjoyed it? I think um, Pastor Phil is preaching some of the best messages of his life. He is absolutely owning it, and Luke Boyd last week, my goodness, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. This man is... If you had have come, if I had come the first time tonight, I wouldn't have even known that we, our pastors are away. Let's go, Luke. Yeah, of course, Pastor Luke, Pastor Candice, for sure. But um, we've been doing messages on hope, and 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 there's been so much great preaching on hope being a a confident expectation. So not like the the world where it's like you know Pastor Phil's been talking about his uh, lack of faith in hairdressers, and he say you know how he says he hopes that. He gets a good haircut, but it's, it's full of doubt. It's full of, you know, he has no idea. He just hopes by some chance he might get a haircut. And as Luke mentioned before, I can relate to that. Um, I had some pretty bad haircuts over, my, over the days, and uh, Luke solved one of those. He got it to a reasonable level. Um, and then I found a hairdresser that was so good. Um, she went to Church Unlimited, actually. She used to drive to my house cut my hair at my house for like 20 bucks or 15 bucks and then she left as you can see I can't be bothered trying to find another hairdresser 
I just thought, I'll just shave the stuff off. What does it matter anyway? Save us all, put us out of our misery. So I don't worry about hairdressers anymore. I just do it myself. Gail provided me the clippers. But hope. hope. We don't put our hope in hairdressers, but we do have a hope. And, and it's just a beautiful thing, the hope we have in God, that it's not a wishy-washy, maybe see how it goes, but it's just an absolute confident assurance that Christ died for our sins, rose again, sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over every detail of our life. Sometimes, and, and I'll tell you what, we need that. Because, you know, it says in the book of John, I think it is, um, in this world you will have troubles. And I don't know if that applies to anyone else, but, um, you know, I, life is such a, a mystery, isn't it? You're torn between the great stuff that God's doing, this and that, and and then I think of, uh, you know, a good friend of mine's husband who's lying in bed with a brain tumor, bedridden and, and can't move, can't talk. And so life is this, you know, this, this mystery, isn't it? Of, of I have, in this world you'll have troubles, but then Jesus says, but I've overcome the world. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey uh, for the next 20 minutes tonight uh, from the book of Isaiah. Now, if anyone... Uh, has ever tried to read the book of Isaiah, it can get a little bit tricky sometimes. And let me tell you now, if you want to, you can't just pick up a Bible and open to an Old Testament scripture, pick one out and read it and say, wow, that's incredible and apply it to your life. So you need, you need some sort of um, understanding of what was going on at the time. So I want to prov- try and give you a little bit, just a really quick background of what's going on in this book of Isaiah, which is absolutely incredible. When I, found, when I started looking at it and, and studying it and getting into it, knowing what was going on at the time, in Isaiah's time, is just phenomenal. So you can talk to, uh, you can talk, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 36, and we're going to start there. I'm actually going to take it back a bit from there, so bear with me for about five minutes while I try and give you some of this background. So, let me just pray really quickly and then we'll get into it. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, help me to convey the beauty of your hope, the beauty of uh, you, God, who is sitting and ruling and reigning, who is enthroned, Lord, who is, who is so worthy for us to put our hope in, God, who is the only sure thing in this life. God, you are the only thing that will never leave. You're the only thing that will never let us down. You are the only person who we can fully trust and put our hope in. So God, we pray that tonight you would reveal this to hearts. Even right now, God, I pray you would start speaking to people. God, you would start speaking words of hope. You would start speaking words of um, the promise of a future. God, the promise of a hope for their life. God, speak life tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here we go. We have King Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Okay? Now, he's a good guy. If you read through all the kings... Most of them were ratbags. Most of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But King Hezekiah, it says, he did good in the eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, he didn't have very good heritage. His dad, King Ahaz, was a shocker. Okay? At the time, right, Assyria was the world power. They dominated everything around that area. They were, the, they were the big guns. They were the strong military political power of the day. And Ahaz... Um, Judah's just a small, small country. You know, the kingdom split Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And Ahaz was a bit of a shocker. Instead of trusting in God, 
he trusted in Assyria. He thought, well, these guys are attacking me. Assyria probably does want to attack me, but if I pay Assyria money, then just maybe they'll look after me. And God said through Isaiah, the prophet at the time, he said, don't trust in Assyria, don't trust in here, 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 trust in me. And Ahaz declined the offer. And so he paid Assyria money and said, come and save me against these other guys. And, um, and they did, but God said this, he said, you didn't trust me, so I'm going to bring Assyria back to you later on. And uh, this is a message of hope, I promise. It's getting there. So Ahaz was a bit of a shocker, right? So Hezekiah comes on the scene, he's ruling, and he does, and, and at the time, sorry, Ahaz, the people were in idolatry. They set up idols and they weren't following God, but, but Hezekiah comes along and he goes around the countryside and he just, just destroys all the idol worship places on the high places and he cleans the place up and he instills the worship of God. And it's, and it's incredible, but he's in this time still where Assyria still rules Judah. They, Assyria is still the, the massive power. He's probably still got in the back of his mind as well the words that God spoke to his father saying Assyria is going to come and get you. And so Assyria is still his power and he has to, being a, um, because he got saved by Assyria, that made them um, under, Assyria's, uh, under Assyria's control and they had to pay them money every year. So Hezekiah every year paid Assyria money because they, just so they wouldn't kill him. Right, and I know I'm getting there. This is you'll, this will make a lot more sense in a, in a little bit. So, time goes along. Hezekiah, Hezekiah gets sick, and God says you're going to die. And um, and that was if that wasn't a big enough challenge in itself, you know, he went through the faith test and he prayed to God, and God delivered him. And God said, not only am I going to add 15 years to your life, but I'm going to deliver you from the hand of Assyria. So God gives Hezekiah this promise. He says, you know what? Don't worry, I've got it all under control. I'm going to defeat Assyria for you. And so, because Assyria like dominated so many of the, the countries around at the time, rebellion against them was just stock standard. Everyone would rise up and rebel and give it a go, and then Assyria would come and just tear them, tear them apart and destroy them. And, um, and so, Egypt started to rise up from the south as, a, as another world power. And they thought, okay, this is all good. Egypt's rising up, Babylon's uh, rising up. And so Babylon and, and Egypt approached Judah and say, hey, we're going to start a, a rebellion against Assyria. We're going to take them down. Hey, will you join us? And um, this is where I want to kick into it. So here we are in a, in a spot where Assyria is ruling. And I want to tell you a bit about the Syrians in a sec. But Egypt, Babylon, and Judah join. And they think, you know what? We're going to take this guy down. Even though God said to Hezekiah, I will defeat them. And so here we have in, in verse 31, Isaiah, in chapter 31, actually. So if you want to keep your, your um, finger in 36 and then turn to 31, and this is the word of the Lord. Now, it's not in chronological order. That's why we're going back. So it's a bit all over the place, the book of Isaiah. Uh, so we're going back. This is what Isaiah says to Hezekiah and Judah. As they're in this time, they've, they've had the offer to go up. And he says this, God says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. And it goes down to verse 3 and it says, But the Egyptians are mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. And so it keeps going down, down to verse 8. God says this, 
Assyria will fall by no human sword. A sword not of mortals will devour them. So God gives his promise, says, don't do it. Just don't join this thing. Don't do it. Put your trust in me. I can assure you, put your hope. You can say, read this. We're looking at hope. As Boydy said uh, last week, hope and trust, pretty much identical. Hey, like there's slightly different aspects, but the same thing of looking to God. It's got this thing of looking to God. And so, so Isaiah, God. So God says, don't do it. But Hezekiah did it. <laughs> and um, that brings us to 36, where, I, where we are now. We turn back to 36. So Hezekiah said, I'm going to do it. You know, he didn't trust in God. Sometimes our situations can get so overwhelming. All we can see around is we just try and figure it out ourselves. We try and work things out ourselves. When all the while God's just saying, just trust me. Put your hope in me and I'll pull through for you. So here we are at 36, right? And um, it's failed miserably. <laughs> all right, they didn't overtake Assyria. The king of Babylon's dead. And um, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is absolutely PO'd. Can I say that at church? I'm not sure. But he's, he's, he's set his sights for Hezekiah in Judah. And he comes down and it says this in, um, in 36, chapter 1. It says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. There was 46 of them. Um, leave it right there for a sec. So he's come along, taken 46 fortified cities, taken over the rest of Judah, and only Jerusalem, the capital, remains. Let me tell you something about the Assyrians. Not only were they powerful, not only were they um, great at winning military victories, but it's not so much the result that made them the scariest. What they were into was psychological just devastation. So it wasn't enough for them to go into a place and... Um, just beat the, you know, walk in, do whatever you need to do, take over and go. But they wanted to completely psychologically demoralize everyone in their sights. Wiki, I go to Wiki, I know it's not the, uh, you know, some of you scholars might not like it that much, but it tells us a bit about the, um, the, the tactics of, of Assyrians, all right? And it's pretty scary, to be honest. These guys were crazy. Um, where are we? Give me a second. There's a lot of stuff here on Assyria. So here we go. <laughs> and guess what? I'm pretty sure that the page that it had all the information on isn't there. That's pretty funny, but lucky I read it. Ah, here we go. I know it. Here we go. So here it says, not only will they go in, but so you're gonna, the whole world around that area were just peeking about Assyria. They knew of what they've done to so many countries. They knew what they'd done. They knew the stories. If you've got any children in here that you don't want to hear this, just cover their ears for a second. And it says this. Um, one of their kings paints a, it says, paints a descriptive picture when he later describes how they dealt with the rebels. So when the rebellion rise, rose up, they just destroyed them and gave them absolutely like t- devastation so that they wouldn't rise up again, the rebellion. And it says, this is what they would do. They were flayed, which means they were skinned alive. They were impaled. They were beheaded first if they were lucky. They were burnt alive, eyes ripped out, <laughs> fingers, noses, and ears cut off. And what they used to do, they would put, uh, excuse me, even as if, but I'm get, trying to get a point across here. They would stick it on the city walls. 
They would blind people, gouge out their eyes, and send them into the cities, let them just walk around aimlessly, telling, spreading fear about all the things that the Assyrians had done to the people. So before they even got to a, to a place, sometimes they just surrendered straight away. They just said, "Do it, like please just don't do this to us. They just surrendered because the fear and intimidation had spread across the known world about these Assyrians. And so here we are in 36, we're outside Jerusalem, chapter 36 in Isaiah, we're outside Jerusalem and, uh, and Sennacherib and his guys come up. So Sennacherib sends out one of his guys to um, speak to the people of Judah. And this is what he says in verse 4. The field commander, who the king of Assyria sent out, said, said to him, tell Hezekiah this. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you might rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt. I know, yeah, um, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hands of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and old as Hezekiah removed? Now I was taking back because Hezekiah removed some. So there's a little bit of truth in it, which the devil still does today. It mixes a little bit of truth with his lies, but he makes it sound true enough to believe. And um, down to verse 8, he's saying, Come, now make a bargain with my master. And he just takes the mickey out of them still. Uh, I don't have time to go through all of this, but it turn over into um, verse 13. If we go down to verse 13, it says... Um, Oh, no, sorry. I lie. I didn't lie. I just... Um, 11. We'll go to 11. The guys of Judah said this, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we don't understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, uh, in the hearing of the people on the wall. So these leaders of Judah have said, Don't speak so all these people can hear, or else they'll freak out, and then we'll lose them. And this is what he says. He goes... Was it only to your, uh, your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? So this guy is, he's not mucking around. He is there to stir, he's there to, in, to put fear in. He's there to just make these guys freak out. Um, and it goes down and it goes down. And um, you know what? That's exactly what we face today. You know, the devil can't, the victory's been won. Jesus Christ died on the cross. The battle can't be won. So fear is the number one thing that I I think that the devil uses to try and cripple people. It's intimidation. It says, you know, hearing, it's fear says, it says, fear says, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if? You know, God doesn't pull through and, and Assyria comes down. What if, you know, this thing happens to my life? What happens? What if this sickness doesn't get cured? What if um, my children don't grow up in the Lord? What if um, I don't have what it takes? What if, what if, what if, what if? And it's all about doubt. It's all about fear. And the devil uses that same strategy today that we see there. Um, but I tell you what. On a light note, <laughs> so I've just been—I've just—I've just painted a picture of what our enemy is like. Still, our enemy is still like that. But I can tell you what: Are you ready for this? 
1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Turn to there and we'll see our number one weapon against fear and despair. You know, fear can be crippling. I don't know, like, I've been... God has brought me on such a journey of breaking through fear and despair. It used to just cripple my life. I'd be, at times, I'd be so worried about something that I wouldn't be able to do anything. It would physically sap my energy, you know, worrying about this, worrying about that. Fear causes you to look in and look down and look around and see all the problems and see everything that's going wrong. But I tell you what, we have a, uh, we have a, um, a weapon, an actual weapon to fight that. And while you were turning there, I didn't. But 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this, and this is an, uh, clarifies a bit of the weapons in, in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. So it says this, ready? Um, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You know the weapon, the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation? It's hope. It's the hope of salvation that we put on to get us through despair to get us through this. Um, you know what? Although fear causes us to look down and look around, hope causes us to look forward. It lifts our eyes. It protects our mind. Of course, fear and despair and worry about this and that, that's the very thing that attacks our mind. I, I, may, I might be the only person in here that has ever had that. But hope in God and the salvation and the better day that he brings causes us to look up. It says to Goliath, it says, you know what? I'm not going to cower back to the words that you speak to me, but who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Who are you to speak to me like that? Who are you to speak to a child of God like that? Because we have this hope in God. And, um, you know, like Zacchaeus, uh, it, it, he, it said he wanted to see Jesus, but there were too many people in the way. He couldn't see. So what did he do? He, ho- he, he went up a tree so he could see God. And that's what hope does. Hope goes above every circumstance that's around us and lets us see God. It is in the presence of God that we have hope. Like Abram when uh, Lot uh, split ways and God said, and it was all looking pretty bad. Lot got the good side and he got the dodgy side. And what did God say? He said, look up from the place that you are now said, look up from where you are now. Don't look at where you are now, but look. Look at the future. Look at what lies. You know, the whole stars of the sky, sand of the shore. Look what awaits you. And that brings the hope that we can bank on, that we can push forward to. Um, even, you know what, even in the face of death, the worst, you know, if you think of the worst scenario that we could probably you know, see a lack of hope in, it would be facing death. But you know what? Death has no, it has no effect on us. Luke said the other week, we are set for eternal life. How good is, um, you know, at, at, uh, Titus, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. I left my scriptures up with there, guys. Titus 1, 2 says this, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, God can't lie, that's why we can trust him. That's why we put our hope in him, because he can't lie. It's actually impossible. It, like, it's, not, it's not physically possible for God to lie. This is why we can put so, so a confident expectation upon him for our life. 
And it says, you know, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And, um, you know, 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to throw a few scriptures at you. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Death has been swallowed up in victory by Jesus Christ on the cross. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It just doesn't have effect on us. Even in the faith, there's nothing that can take our hope. There's no situation so bad that we need to despair. There's no situation so terrible that we cannot expect God to, to bring through and turn it out for good to those that love Him. It's absolutely incredible. Hey, And we take it for granted, our eternal life, but that is actually our main hope as believers. Other, no other religion has full assurance of faith. Okay, so no, other, no other religion in the world will give you full assurance of your destination. I, I um, traveled a little bit a while ago and um, I spoke to a couple of people. Hmm. Spoke to a couple of people. Is that louder all of a sudden? <laughs> I spoke to a couple of people. Uh, one Sikh, you know, with the turbans. They're cool. And a Muslim uh, person. And the Sikh person, I said this, I was at, uh, in India at their home temple. And they do all the things right. They feed the poor. They've got healing in the waters. They've got this and that. And they, they were telling me about um, the vow that you can take as a Sikh to obey these set of laws. And uh, then I said, so what happens if you break one of those laws? Like, how do you get forgiveness? Is like a sacrament. of what, what? And she just laughed at me. She goes, what are you talking about forgiveness? There's no forgiveness. She goes, what are you talking If you break one, you're gone. I was like, whew, that's tough. Like, she literally laughed. She was shocked that I actually mentioned that. I, um, I was with an Islam tour guide at... Um, in Turkey and he every time they go near a, a cemetery they pray and so I said I was like why do you why do you do that and he said well you know the only way to be really really sure and even then you're not you're not really you know absolutely assured but if as if you're a martyr it's the only way that you can actually have pretty good assurance that you're going to be with God in the afterlife. I said, so why do you pray? He goes, well, just maybe by some chance that if I get God and he's deciding and, and he feels good at the time that maybe he'll let that person into the kingdom afterwards. And I think to Hebrews 10.23, it says, draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Full assurance that we can come before God that he has a, a bright future for us and that when we're done in this world, we were going to be with him. Like Job, you know, and, and, and hope is this thing, like Pastor Phil's been speaking brilliantly about hope as an anchor. Hope, hope doesn't need to have all the answers. So, you know, you can, you can trust in the promises of God when you know the outcome, you know, and there's a lot of that, like our eternal life. But you might say, but what about this situation? I can't see how that's going to work out. But when you can't see, you can trust in the character of God, like Job did. And you just know that God is love. God is full of trust. God is full of faith. God is faithful. God has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. And in that, we can be sure. Like Job, you know, Pastor Phil said this morning, he went through Job. Job just faced the most incredible situations. Like, I don't know, I... I don't back myself in that situation. Like, it's just phenomenal. Yet this is what he says in, in third, Job 13, verse 15. Um, 
Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. In the face of absolute calamity, he says, though he slay me, I don't get it, I don't understand. Still, I'm going to hope in him. Because I know he's for me. I know he's not against me. And you know what? I'm pretty much done. But you know what? James, I'll leave you with this. James chapter 1. Um, James chapter 1. This is a, a scripture that got me through so much as a believer. Oh, if only I can find it. It's all right. Don't need it. It says this. Blessed, is the, is, blessed are those who persevere under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. So we might slog it out here with our helmet of salvation and the helmet of the hope of salvation. But I tell you what, when we push through, when we, when we endure with the hope, when we are strengthened by the hope, like it says in Isaiah, you know, those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When we come before our God, he's going to take off that helmet of salvation and put on the crown of life. So I love that. Yes, you've done well. Take off the fighting. Now just enjoy the crown. You've, what you've done, you've just done a beautiful thing. You've, you've, you've run the race. You've persevered. You've persevered under trial. And you know what? I, I, I think I'd say everyone in here, their better day is in this life as well. You know, some people don't have that luxury, but most of us do. That in this life, we have a better day. And then, when this momentary life is done, we can go and be with the God who loves us, who has provided full assurance of faith through, through Jesus Christ. And we can be with Him. And if you quickly, to wrap up, back to Isaiah, you don't have to go there. Hezekiah starts to see this. So he's there and it all seems lost. And he's been going to Egypt. He's been going to Babylon. He's been going to here. He's been going to there. You know, for us going to Egypt, because the Israelites came out of Egypt, going back to Egypt for help was like going back to the ways before they met Christ for us. What's that for us? Works, doing it by ourselves. So what, what does it mean for us to trust in Egypt? Trust in yourself. Think you can do it on your own. Hezekiah finally sees it and um, he, he turns to God in 37 chapter 1 but I'm going to go to the prayer he prays to God in chapter 14 and when he's again he's, he's just he, all this fear is coming on him he goes aside he spends time in the presence of God and he says this he prayed this Lord Almighty the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth you have made the heaven and earth Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib um, has uh, used to ridicule the living God. But that, that thing, you are enthroned. This is what hope is. Looking up and going, you know, it's like a war movie. You know when it goes all silent? <laughs> but there's so much, they're still fighting, but it's silent. And it's almost, with that silence, like peaceful, even though there's all this going around. That's like what we have with God. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be storms around, but it does know this, that our soul is anchored on Christ, that we can see that we look forward 
and that that's all we see. It's like our horizon that keeps us uh, steady, that keeps us sturdy, is that hope of Christ, that love of God. And so tonight, I just want to allow two people, two two types of people, to respond to this message. I think it's always good to respond to a message. And um, you know, first of all, you might be here. You might think you're here by accident. You might think you're here just as you know. Maybe your friend has some reward points that they're going to bring you along to church, so they think they're going to get anything, you know. Be like, oh, Foz, he's just like, you know, he's just, you know, there's no reward points, okay? No one's getting paid or no one gets points to bring you tonight. I think God did it. And I want to give absolutely anyone in here a chance to be connected to God. You know what? Don't be like, just read this. <laughs> It's full of people who try to do it by themselves. It's full of it. They, they try, fail miserably, and turn back. Just why don't you just skip the trying part? And tonight, just take a stand for God and say, You know what, God? I don't understand everything. I don't know why this is going on in my world. I don't know why this happens. I don't really know everything, but I just know that you are there and that you love me, and I'm going to put my hope in you. Why don't we all stand tonight? And I, want to, I just want to simply pray with anyone. If everyone in here has done this and is right and their hope is fully on God, that's great. But I'm going to give it out anyway. And if you're sitting there and you're just like, I just, you know, I just don't know. I'm going to pray for, I'm going to get, you know, a whole group of other people to pray in a sec. But if you have never accepted God into your life, if you've never received Jesus Christ, all I want to do is pray with you tonight. One simple prayer, it could not be easier. If you're sick of doing it on your own, if you're sick of going elsewhere for help and people letting you down, you're sick of Egypt letting you down, you're sick of this person letting you down, you're sick of not having the strength to do it on your own, God is one prayer away. Hezekiah turned back to God after he tried to do it himself and in one blow, God destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. And Sennacherib went back to his own land and God had him killed. The minute that Hezekiah trusted in God, that's I'm not saying that, you know, he's going to kill people for you. Or don't have a hit list if you come out and say, can you just, this person, mother-in-law, this. Okay, I went there. All I'm saying is that the enemy that we fight, the battlefield of our minds, we can be totally convinced that that battle is won tonight. One prayer. So if with every eye closed tonight, I want to give anyone the chance to just respond to God. All I want to do is pray with you. It's so simple. It's so simple. So in a second, I'm going to get you to lift your hand and then I'm going to pray with you. So right now, anyone in this place who just wants to put their hope in God for the first time or the second time, maybe you've gone away like I did. And then I came back to Luke and said, Luke, I want back in. Maybe you've, you've, you've gone out, you think you can do it on your own and you've realized like I that you couldn't. Why don't you lift your hand now? Anyone in this place who just wants to be reconnected to God, if you could just lift your hand up, all I want to do is pray for you. All I want to do is say one prayer. It, don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop you from meeting with God. All I want to do is pray one prayer. So right now in this place, is there one person that needs to commit, to get right with God? Is there one pe- person who just needs to connect with God in this place? One person. 
You might be there, I don't know, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm not sure. Just let it go. Just calm into his presence. Just calm. Do I see, is there anyone? Is there anyone here tonight? Just put your hand up and we'll pray for you there. We'll just pray for you where you are. I'm not going to get you even to to come out. Sweet, that's a one hand there. That's fine. That's great. That is unbelievable. Anyone else? Anyone else? We have one person that is just going, you know what, God? I just need you. Is there someone else who just needs to make sure, just make sure that they're right with God? Anyone else? Come on. I've only got 30 seconds max. Anyone else? Come on. This is going to be the easiest and the best thing you've ever done. One prayer for a lifetime of hope. One prayer for a lifetime of hope. For, for, the, minute, for the sake of three minutes, you're going to have hope of eternity with God. You're going to have a God that loves you, connect with you, walk with you, relate with you, just do life with you, speak to you, love on you. So let's everyone say this tonight. Well, this, I'm just going to pray that we're just going to cut, you know, give everything to God, put our hope in Him. You know, the, 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 the past is done. Every hurt, He's with you. He's been, he was there in it. He continues to be. He didn't want anything to happen, but He was there with you as it was. And you know what? As you trust in Him, He's going to wash away anything that hurts, any anything that you know, that causes you to despair and fear. And he's just going to bring hope. He's just going to speak life. He's going to speak love. He's going to show you a brighter day. He's going to show you plans that he has that you didn't even dream of. The stuff he's doing in my life that I didn't even think possible. And he just keeps blowing my mind. And I just think God's going to blow your mind. He's just going to blow your mind. What, you know, he's going to show you a hope and a future. He's going to give you a vision of a brighter day. So let's everyone pray tonight and pray this with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for drawing us to you. Thank you so much for Jesus, your son, who died on a cross for me, for my sin, so that I can walk with you. God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Come into my life today. Forgive me of my sin. Set me free. Come to live in my heart. Heal every hurt. I place my life before you. I give you control. Pour out your love on me, Lord. Show me a brighter day.